You are listening to Pod Academy. I'm Ed Prosser. This piece is about the voice technology, which is essentially a computer program that allows the blind to see with sound. Uh, what the software does is it scans and converts visual information coming from a camera or webcam or camera-mounted glasses, and it, it turns that into a, quite a bizarre coded soundscape. And through learning and experience, uh, a user can learn to interpret this as a sort of synthetic vision. Anyway, after listening to the piece, if you want any more information, you can visit the project website, which is www.seeingwithsound.com. And you can also visit my own blog, which features a collection of images as heard through the voice, including some featured in this piece. And that's at onthenatureofthings.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. an experience of shock and then joy and then elation. Here's a perfect example. I was watching dishes. This is in my early days. And I came back up to the sink and I stopped because I looked down into the sink and I realized my mind clicked, hey, hey, dum-dum, remember what it is to look down, to look down into something? And I hadn't experienced that in so long from this gray, flat, emptiness down into actually seeing down into a sink. That is a little click, like a little picture you take in your mind and all of a sudden you connect. Oh, that's what it is to look. And you get shock. I'm actually just responding and living life with the voice sight, and I don't think about it anymore. It's part of me. And that's what sight was when I was sighted, because my sight was tied to my body actions. My name is Pat Fletcher. I'm from Buffalo, New York. I have been working with the voice since 1998. I was hurt in an industrial explosion, which blinded me in 1979. Before the voice basically was first a cane for a while, I was very unhappy about because I went from sighted person down to just using what I called a, the stick to get around. So I decided then to uh, use a guide dog. I could get around from point A to point B, but it still didn't. It didn't tell me that there was a tree on my left or um, there was a car in the driveway. It, it just was empty. The world was empty for me. The program is in live view, or uh, what is happening in front of you is captured into the camera glasses, and that information is transferred into the notebook, converted by the voice into a soundscape which then is fed back into your headphones. And then your headphones, give it to your ears, who then give it to your brain, and your brain processes it into sight. So sensory substitution is a neat idea where if you have someone that is experiencing sensory deprivation, so like a blind person who can't see, 
that perhaps you can substitute for that missing sense by taking the visual information and transforming it into a format that another sense can process. I'm Michael Pru. I'm currently senior lecturer in psychology at the University of Bath, and I am the head of the Crossmodal Cognition Lab. The voice turns images into sound by just a sort of straight function of pixel location and frequency. And essentially it's scanning the image as a series of columns from left to right. Taking each pixel in the image and turning each pixel into a tone or frequency. Such that pixels that are sort of high up in the image correspond to high tones. Uh, pixels that are low in the image correspond to low tones. Pixels that are bright white are loud. Pixels that are black are quiet. And then the sort of left to right location of the pixels comes from this scan over time. So you take an image, you scan all the columns for say one second from left to right. If you listen to the output, you'll hear this change in tones, this sort of, sort of science fiction type sound moving from left to right. So if you're using stereo headphones, you'll hear the sound actually move from your left ear to your right ear, and you'll hear sort of this fluctuating tones that correspond to how complex the image is. By learning to interpret the sounds in a visual-like manner, one can sort of see with their ears. Well, the first time I heard the noises, to me, it, it again sounded like garbage. I have a friend that says it sounds like two whales mating. You know, <laughs> it made nothing. It made no sense whatsoever. Uh, the learning curve is quite steep, so to put cynically, uh, you need not worry that you will suddenly see. Uh, that It's something that grows generally gradually over time. My name is Peter Meyer. Um, I'm from the Netherlands, and uh, the voice is uh, my long-running spare time activity, which uh, started decades ago, but is still ongoing. And uh, I hope that it will bring real benefit to the lives of, uh, of blind people over time. This wonderful man created a way for us to see. You don't have to be blind anymore. Peter, though he works, is a very, very accessible man. If you've got a problem, and Peter is always there to help you, and so am I. We have several voice users to help anyone to explain how the voice works and to help you with the, uh, getting your technology working. Well, it started a long while ago. I was studying physics uh, in 1983 at Delft University of Technology. Well, in those days, it was clear that digital technology was going to be important, but it was not part of our curriculum. So uh, I wanted to learn more. I sat down uh, brainstorming what I could do. After a few days of this brainstorm, this idea came up of converting images into sound in the hope that if you make such a device, that blind people can learn to do the a kind of reverse, to do a mental reconstruction of uh, images uh, through the sounds. I had a first integrated version in 1999, running on Windows PCs, that uh, used a webcam on one end and uh, stereo headphones on the other end. Quite soon after, the first user of the voice, uh, Pat Fletcher, uh, chimed in and uh, she began 
playing with the software, experimenting with, giving lots of feedback. So she really became the, the number one beta test for The Voice for a number of years. It was my thoughts that the computer and technology would be my way out of blindness. The one thing that really made the aha moment for me, got a cup out of my cabinet. I put it on the scanner, took a picture, and I was holding the cup in my hand. And by using the arrow keys and holding that cup, the picture, I could find designs on the cup that I didn't know were there. Picture. And what it was is I could identify that which I was hearing with that which I was touching and boom, the intersection. And boom, the aha. I understand, here's the cup, here's the design. And from that point, from understanding the references of what those sounds mean, boom, it began to relay sight. And boom, the intersection. Once you understand the relationship between frequency and space, the sounds start to make sense and you start to just get an intuition for how what you're hearing corresponds to what you could be seeing. So it goes from just sounding like complete, utter confusion to something that actually has some control and some sort of sensibility about it. So here's an example of what an image of a banana would sound like when played through the voice software what i've done to create this example i've taken a regular picture of a banana it's on a white background and i've used one of the options of the voice to reverse the contrast and so background goes to black and the banana has a somewhat lighter color and as it goes from left to right, if you look at it visually, the banana starts at sort of a midpoint, curves down in the image, and then ends at a much higher point at the right. As you listen to the voice scan it from left to right, you'll hear the frequencies, the tones that are being played, go from sort of the middle range, down low, and then sweep up very high at the end. And so it certainly gives you this feeling of the shape and also the orientation of the banana. If you try to convert uh, an entire image, uh, a natural image of the environment, into one complex sound, it sounds like a meaningless jumble, but you also lose an enormous amount of information. Now, the trick is that ears are very good at processing temporal information. They're even a lot better than the eyes in that respect. So the trick is to convert what is a spatial dimension for the eyes into a temporal dimension for the ears. It becomes an understanding, an identification of, okay, this thing that's going from left to right, this sweeping sound, this means this. It's because you get a reference point. And once you get that reference point, your mind understands what that sound means. What happens for me is I actually see 
and I know what site is, I see like a gray image, an image because I had the understanding of what the voice soundscape was. You begin to have information fed to the brain. It's no longer a thinking process. It's an experience process that your brain begins to say, oh, that's a tree. That's what a tree looks like now. The adult brain is incredibly plastic. And although you're not going to just all of a sudden grow a new lump, a new lobe on your brain or something like that, um, what you do see is sort of a functional rewiring. So it's not rewiring in the sense where, you know, if someone from telecom comes to your house and they need to fix some wires, they actually move physical wires around. What happens is the network of neurons, the wires are all in place, but the way the connections are rooted can change. So just sort of following a new pathway, a new roadway in a sense. And so whenever you have a case where a person acquires sensory deprivation, let's say someone becomes blind when they're in their 50s, they don't need to have new wires put into place. All that happens is, is now that that area of real estate that was originally used by vision is essentially lying dormant, the wiring around it starts to pick up on the fact that those cells are not responding to anything. And the rewiring just sort of naturally occurs where that information starts to move into that area of empty real estate and starts to take advantage of it. The case of blindness is fascinating because the so-called visual cortex has a very nice spatial organization. It's not so much a visual processing unit, but what is called a metamodal processing unit. It means that it does not really care where the information comes from, from which sense, but it's, it's after particular characteristics of the data that it's uh, processing. So if there is fine spatial data, the visual cortex gets recruited for processing that. What is called the visual cortex is not particularly visual, uh, just as the auditory cortex is not necessarily uh, auditory, but is best suited for doing temporal kind of processing. In fact, perhaps it isn't really visual cortex. Maybe it would be better to think of it as spatial cortex, simply because that is the organization that it has, and it doesn't really matter which sense is providing the information, you'll use that area for these spatial tasks. And that's what we try to make good use of through brain plasticity, to throw in information, to input information uh, via other senses that matches uh, the characteristics of uh, the various brain areas. So within the first four months, if you use it, say, an hour a day, pick up things that you know, things that are familiar to you, and that's how you connect that sight. It's like building a muscle. You can't just pick up a weight one time and say, well, I've got a bulky muscle. No, it takes time, and it takes applying it, but most of all, it takes time for your brain to understand it. And once that brain makes that connection, look out, the world is yours. People use say typically it takes them three months to become a bit accustomed to the voice. And even then, uh, certain things do not evoke the kinds of experiences that you would like to have. Like looking at a photograph of a, of a family member, you would like to have the same emotional responses that you had when you were sighted, if you were late, a late blind person. Now this does not happen. We do not know if it will happen in the end, but there are certainly limitations to what you can achieve with sensory substitution. I'm really eager to make this really work to the, the level that it will be 
a commonly used uh, system among blind people, just like you have Braille and just like you have text-to-speech engines being used by uh, blind people all over the world, that this will be the same kind of thing, but then for environmental information. And for that, we still have a lot of work to do. When I take the voice off after I've used it, say, for a day, and I go back into the blind world, it's going, I, I go back into shock again. It's constantly going from total emptiness. Though I can sense my world around me, I, I've gotten better over the years as a blind person. It's not seeing it. Sensing and seeing are two different things. And so when I put the voice on, then you have to go to a little bit of a point, sort of like for the mind to say, okay, go to the sight level, and you begin to see again. So when I'm walking down the street, I have on a pair of video glasses that hook right into a small notebook. Then I wear headphones. So I look like just a normal person walking down the street with headphones on or listening to my iPod. So I can stand on the sidewalk and look up and look down the sidewalk and oh, that, look at those beautiful trees standing up so tall and how high they are. Or look up in the sky and see the swirling of clouds again. You know, uh, look at a car parked alongside the road. You're experiencing life again through sight. And that's what the voice can do. Oh.